This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 74 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. A little while ago, Broadcast had Terry Virgo doing a Building Big Training Day on how to build big churches and movements. And in this episode of the podcast, we're bringing you an excerpt from that day where we had a Q&A time with Terry. You can find the full notes on everything that Terry had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 74. So here is Terry Virgo. What I want to ask you, Terry, is about the, the people who've kind of been influential from other spheres or other groups. So in the question, there are examples like men like John Wimber, women like Jackie Pullinger, people like that, who uh, you found really helpful in uh, building big over the years. So could you just talk to us a bit about uh, how people from outside like that, can we can get the most out of them, I guess, as we're, as we're trying to build something big. Mm. Yeah, I think we've always tried to respect the reality that New Frontiers is not the Church of God. And uh, although we enjoy our family very much, God's got great voices and people uh, outside that we can draw from. And uh, where we are weak, they are strong often. And uh, we've benefited hugely uh, from having such people. So I think probably in the very early days, hearing men like Owen Baxter, Charles Simpson, they painted a huge picture of the church of the kingdom of God uh, enlarged uh, our thinking my thinking for sure uh, really really helpful I think maybe one of the most um, influential uh, outside voices was a man called Kriensak um, his full name was Dr. Kriensak Charion Monsak it's like you took the alphabet threw it in the sky and that's his name <laughs> and uh, he, he actually called himself Joseph Monsak in the end for the sake of his western friends um, he um, had planted a church in Bangkok extraordinary thing, he was doing a PhD in economics government funded from Thailand in Adelaide, Australia and interestingly uh, met a Christian man who his godliness profoundly impressed him uh, so he actually asked him you know, what is it with you and he led him to Christ uh, then uh, some not very long after a few weeks afterwards he came home one evening and uh, he said his room was flooded with light and uh, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit very sovereignly he didn't know what was happening to him um, and he said God told him to plant a church in every region of Thailand um, so he was kind of electrified by this interestingly enough he went back, it was very late at night by then, and he went to the, the room of the colleague who'd led him to Christ. He said, I could barely stop speaking in tongues. I was so excited. And knocked his door, and he came to the door and, and then said, what's happened to you? And he kind of told him, he said, who laid hands on you? And he said, well, what do you mean? And he said, don't get too excited about this. And uh, the next day, he brought in a pile of books against 
uh, charismatic life. And uh, this was the only Christian he knew who was so respected. And uh, he read, he said, I read all the books, but none of them put him off, put off what he just experienced. And by the time I met him, which was a huge privilege, I was at a conference, just quickly to back up, in, uh, in England where the leaders of the, the new church movements, like Roger Forster from Ichthus and Salt and Light people, and Austin, so I was going back some years, and were meeting with the leaders of the missionary societies. And it was very, very interesting. They, they invited us. They said, none of your young people are coming to join missionary societies. Um, but instead of getting at us, which, to be honest, a lot of old-style Christian leaders were, were pretty hostile to us, they showed, I thought, a huge maturity and said, look, you are, you've, you've got many, many young people in your ranks and we understand you won't necessarily send them to us, but there are things we can serve you with, um, you know, things you don't need to uh, kind of rebuild things, There's all things about culture, language, please draw on our stuff. I was deeply impressed with that attitude, incidentally. Um, and anyway, while I was there, I heard some of them talking about this guy, Kriensack, who uh, had planted, this, it was only his early 20s, planted a church in Bangkok, which was already growing at speed and um, I was hungrily listening in and then Roger Forster said to me I understand you're speaking at the Maranatha conference in Dallas Fort Worth which I was going to a few weeks later he said I hear Kriensack speaking at that conference so I was so thrilled to uh, meet him and we had a lot of time together and I, I, he asked me out to his, his church so it was radical I mean hundreds of mostly young still single students and so on huge crowds and uh, he came and spoke for us at one of our Brighton conferences and he made a call for church planters which we'd never done before uh, and I know so many who when they walked forward had a town put on their mind supernaturally people who with no background to it it was a very supernatural thing. He, he said, come forward now. It was before we started Stonely. We were going to start Stonely the next year. And uh, he, uh, he said, I, I see a town. Is there a town in England? It's like you could see it in the sky. He said, it's, about, it's Co Coventry. Is there a town called Coventry? And I don't think you could pronounce Stonely, L-E-I-G-H. Um, so Coventry was right next door. So he said, I see you all gathering there. I see a, fu a funnel and gold glory pouring out on you all at that place. And we were there for 10 or 11 years at Stonely where many, many things happened. So I think he had huge impact on us. Many, I think he fired us with church planting uh, in a big way. It had a big impact on me, huge impact on me personally. And I think others... Uh, two individually. So I think he would be one. Certainly John Wimber uh, was a huge blessing, wonderful man of God, uh, encouraged us a lot. Uh, I mean, I think there were differences, but there was much that was hugely encouraging. I'm trying to think down through who else has been. I think CJ and Larry Tomzak, uh, CJ Mahaney, Larry Tomzak, in those early days, uh, terrifically inspiring, encouraging to us. Uh, I think they, they played a big part in helping us and exciting us to press forward. Um, 
Yeah. Um, so can I, with these kind of people, and I guess the, for all of us here, uh, there'd be different names who we'd see as influential people. So we've got, in a couple of months, uh, Michael Abachi's going to come up and do yeah. some stuff some, which we're very excited about. What are some of the things from your experience, how we can kind of get the most out of it when we've got someone like that around? I think that Mike... He's the nearest thing I know in England to how Wimber was. That Wimber was had an experience of the Spirit which made him amazingly confident in the presence of God in the meeting. Uh, I mean, he would play keyboard. He, he was a jazz musician actually, and uh, he would lead the worship from the keyboard. Just well, he would play. Carl Tuttle would lead with the guitar, but and he'd just be looking out and very laid back and very relaxed. I'm very confident that God would come in power. And I think Mike's got that. Uh, not a jazz pianist, but he's got loads of humor. Uh, I would say that his, his unique th thing, I think, for Mike, is that sense that God, God will come. God is here. When God comes, all sorts of things are possible. And I, I think that we've not been anywhere near as strong in that area as John Wimber was, as Mike Pilavacci is. So it's great you're having him. I mean, he pops into all kinds of parts of the New Frontiers world. Um, and he's a, a good friend of, of us. Um, but I think that's his strength. I think it's good to realize where strengths lie. So, for instance, Krinsak wouldn't have had a, a teaching on grace. So he was very kind of driven, really. Um, very much a reward system you know if you invited X number of people to your church come forward for your you know the people come and get their prize I did this I did that all sorts of rewards get these people excited motivated um, I don't think grace was a big deal in Zach's life so I think it's learning to draw where their strength lies and not necessarily then thinking oh so they're very strong in that as well because they're not necessarily uh, but we need we know we need where they are strong and uh, uh, and I think that's that's one of the benefits I once was um, <laughs> I was in the States and, and Steve Brading was with, with me and I was at Toronto I was speaking at Toronto and Benny Hinn came to Toronto while we were there and um, funny thing was Benny Hinn's wife was a Toronto Blessing fan uh, which Benny Hinn most certainly wasn't and it was a funny thing that uh, she was at our conference I was, I was preaching at Toronto and Steve Brading was with me and a few other people, Mike Bickle and other people all together there and, uh, and they said we've got to go now to the Benny Hinn meeting, his wife said I've got to go now and won't you come? So Steve got caught up in this and uh, he went to the Benny Hinn meeting and uh, he was in short sleeve shirt, you know, check shirt because it's all kind of relaxed and turns up at the Benny Hinn meeting where the front, I don't know, 10 rows all look like they're dressed for a wedding, all these pastors and wives and, uh, and, so, and he's suddenly there because there's Benny Hinn's wife and he's with them. So Benny Hinn's going for it and then he said, ah, Mike Bickle, come up. So Mike Bickle came up and, uh, and your friends, bring your friends. So uh, uh, up goes Steve Brading on the platform at the Benny Hinn meeting. There's thousands of people at the Benny Hinn. 
in me too. So Steve said, uh, you know, he came in and said, oh, come forward, come forward. And he, and he just waved his hand. God bless you, my brother. And, and Steve said, it's like a bus hit him. <laughs> just, he was thrown over with power, just power. And uh, he said, they picked me up, they picked me up and pushed me forward again. I said, oh, God bless you. It's Steve again. So, okay, so there's phenomenal power there. Then I'm listening to him on television one day, flicking around, oh, Benny, and listen to him. He said, after the interval, I will tell you what happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. And I thought, please don't tell us, Benny. <laughs> Because you know, the fact that he's powerful does not mean that he's the best Bible teacher in the world. And I think we sometimes think that power is a reward for other things. And I think that's deeply ingrained. And I think some of our, some cessationists, they don't realize this is where they're coming from, but they poo-poo this power thing because they say, look at them, look at them. If God was going to give power, well, guess where you give it? And I mean, that is not said, but that is the implication. We are far more accurate biblically, so obviously that's where the power would be. As though power was a reward for correctness. And it ain't. It's a gift. It's a gift. I've learned that over the years. It's a gift. And, and we must not think, oh, if he, wow, if he's got that power, then everything he says is right. Because it obviously isn't. And sometimes you, the most, some of the big power centers are not necessarily the most safe theological centers, but that doesn't mean it's not God. See, even the story of Samson, it never says, so now the devil's power started working through him. It never says it. Power of God's on Samson until ultimately God says enough. But it's never any suggestion it's not God's power. And we just need to be very careful. When power is being released, we, must go, we mustn't say, oh, therefore, they're all absolutely right. Or it can't be God. We've got to see, no, that, that could very well be God. But it's a gift. And gifts are free. When you think of it biblically, you know that's true, but we tend to get out of our biblical framework sometimes. You think Simon Peter, like four, five, six weeks before the day of Pentecost, and before taking the guy from the beautiful gate of the temple, he's cursing and swearing and saying, I don't know Jesus, I'm not with him. You know, he's not exactly a guy ready to be rewarded with phenomenal power. He's a mess. And gifts are gifts. And so we just need to learn about that. And uh, so you don't, you don't write off people for their power. You can say, no, that could well be the power of God. But you don't say, therefore, everything they say is right. All their books, all that, that's right because of power with them. No, not necessarily at all. And I think we don't write off cessationists necessarily because, ah, they don't think about power. I heard John Piper and Don Carson speak in, um, what do they call it, New Word Alive? I mean, when I heard Piper and Carson, I thought, I understand why some cessationists are not even interested in the Holy Spirit. Because when you listen to those guys, you think, man, alive, what more could you want? It's interesting. It's so, their preaching was so magnificent. But it makes you always feel, well, do we need power as well? <laughs> and I, I, it gave me a bit more sympathy for people who know, well, this is it. Because it was so wonderful. 
but uh, I thank God for Lloyd-Jones, who was both a uh, real power and, uh, and great word preaching. That's why I've drifted. That's good, that's very good. Um, really helpful. Uh, there's just one more I wanted to ask you as well, which is about when we're raising up new leaders. It's how do we pass the baton onto other people without losing the original passion that starts? <coughs> Uh, where? Um, well, I guess it could be uh, within a church, so if you... Uh, sorry, sorry, no. do you mean... Okay, when, uh, when you've passed on the baton, have you lost the passion, uh, or...? I, I understand the question to be without um, handing over to someone who can't carry the yeah, same passion yeah, that you've no, got. Fair yeah, no, I understand. I think, I think we don't live in a perfect situation. Everything's not perfect. Uh, so sometimes you've got to face the reality of where things presently are. And sometimes there has to, you, you, God's called someone to move but, you know, very clearly. You've got to go from here to here. And, and sometimes you feel, well, if I did that, what's going to happen to this? And it can sometimes make you put the brakes on because you haven't got your perfect guy. And what we want is the thing you're describing. We want the same passion, we want the same... And it isn't always there. So I tell, my, my first comment, if you like, on the question is, you won't necessarily get perfection every time. Uh, you, want, you want any passion that had been already there, you want it to, to continue there. But it's important that if God's called, say, you to move to somewhere else, if it's really clear from God, you don't want to be irresponsible, but you've got to be obedient. And that may mean that the situation you leave behind doesn't excite you, it might trouble you, but if God's saying go, you've got to go. All right. So if, I think we work in team again, so you talk it to others, uh, so you want to really get a broader perspective, but I honestly feel obedience is the thing. And uh, I mean, even the church situation I'm in now, if I can illustrate from that, uh, this church, Mid-Sussex Church, uh, Matt Partridge, who's a terrific Bible teacher, I think, um, fine leader, was leading that church, got a, a clear call from God to move at a time when he was bringing two churches together and going for a building. I mean, I asked him to go. He said no. Dave Stroud asked him to go. He said no. He's at a meeting, Keith Hazel, whose name you may not know, an extraordinary prophet, and one of these guys who think, how did that work? He, he's praying for people, he's praying for the guys from the southwest, all leaders from New Frontiers across the UK, having a day together with him. And uh, he's praying for the people from Devon, Cornwall, uh, and the guy who oversees that, which happens to be Matt, so he's praying, oh, God bless him, and praise gives him. And they're going back to their seat. He says, uh, brother, you can come back? So Matt comes back, and he just prophesies, go. I mean, it was just amazing. So funny, because like, I can hear Dave Stroud laughing like a drain when he's, he said, no to me, no to Dave Stroud. And, and it's, Keith Hazel's prophesying. It's so detailed. And Dave's laughing. You can hear Matt saying, you could shut up, Stroud. <laughs> It's hilarious. Anyway, directly knew it was God, and not just Terry or Dave. He knew it was God, and I don't mean that casually. That was a big thing for him. Once he knew it was God, he's gone. Now I thought, what's going to happen to the church? I wanted him to go, but I wasn't quite sure what would happen. And his, his brother, Jim, who actually was responsible for running Spring Harvest, 
uh, not really a preacher, he was an administrative guy really, and he was being headhunted by Soul Survivor, and he suddenly saw the church and walked away from it all, and just became an elder, or a leader, became an elder, in Matt's team. So Matt walked away, and you think, what's going to happen to that church? Well, Jim is just a phenomenal guy. He's grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. He's doing a terrific job. The church has grown in size. Everything's happening. So it, Matt was being more responsible than we were. He said, I can't go. Listen, I've got, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. When God said go, it wasn't, it was, it looked vulnerable. But he had to be obedient. And actually, the gift has come through. Terrific leadership. Wonderful gift. So sometimes, this, this question comes in a context. The context is, dare I go? Will I leave it behind? I think, also, you've got to, I think you've got to look for leadership. You know, where, that, where you've got ability. Sometimes, I think, again, looking at team. I've been in a context where it looked like a very gifted Bible teacher was the person who most commanded respect in the church. People loved his preaching, fine, fine preacher, and he was he was put in to replace the leadership. And people loved him on Sundays, loved him. But he didn't have a leadership gift. And these uh, things can be combined in some way. People get clusters of gifts. But the exceptional Bible teacher... But while he was leading the church I'm speaking of, the prayer meeting died. It just had gone. And the goal for a building project was virtually abandoned. But the people loved listening to the preaching. But there was no inspirational leadership coming from it. It wasn't the gift he had. So I think it depends what you're looking for. Uh, and I think you've got to, I, I think you've got to look for leaders. If you wanted somebody to lead it, and discern the difference between a public preaching gift or exposition of scripture and someone who knows how to lead people and to see they need one another. They need one another. So we had to adjust that situation, brought through a guy who had a leadership gift, but the public Bible teacher guy was still in the team and did a lot of the preaching. So the saints were still being helped through good exposition, but the other guy took the lead. And I think we just have to look for good combinations. I think it's, you need to ask God to help you discern where leadership comes. And sometimes, sometimes it, it can be a younger guy and again, it's that thing I said earlier about knowing you've got someone's heart. I always think about Timothy, where Paul... <laughs> Timothy looks like a dead loss, doesn't he? You know, you're too young, you're often sick, uh, and uh, you're timid. Like when he writes to the Corinthians, he said, when Timothy comes, don't scare him. <laughs> Imagine me saying, you know, when Dave Devonish comes, don't scare him. But, uh, uh, so Paul did that. And yet he said, I've got no one like him. So it's discerning sometimes things that not necessarily everybody's seen. He says, he's worked like me, with me, like a son with the father. But I've known, I've known, I know some situations across the UK outside of New Frontiers. I know two particularly in the last few years where guys known it's transition time and have both times gone outside of their family, as I say, not New Frontiers, outside of their family, brought in a very gifted preacher, felt that it was quite a bold move to say, well, we went outside. He was very gifted. And the guys come in, and then subsequently a church in America said, hey, we're looking for a guy like you, and he went. 
So, the, oops. So the, the loyalty, family loyalty, the kind of thing. No, I've, I've come here. I'm not coming. Uh, the, the guy was very excited. Oh, that sounds fun. And he just left it. So I think loyalty is a big deal. So uh, Paul says, Timothy, he's worked with me like a son with a father. You know his proven worth. So loyalty is a big deal. Uh, I think that giftedness can always be cultivated, can grow, but you do want the both. You want, you want character and gifting. That's what you're praying for always, character and gifting. If you have only gifting, you're, by, you know, you're a bit scared. If you've got only character, sorry to say only character, but if, it's, if it truly is only character, things kind of start plateauing because people feel very safe, loved, cared for, but not necessarily very stimulated. Uh, you need both. So we've got to look for that. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder that all the notes can be found at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 74. See you next time.